pause on our Judges series. We will be back in a couple weeks. Romans chapter 1. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a place where you have found something in your possession. Maybe it's a key. Maybe you're like me and you're trying to put up your Christmas lights and you find these random replacement bulbs. They literally say replacement bulbs, but they don't fit in the, the sockets for the actual Christmas lights. And you're looking going, what is, what is this for? I don't know what this is for. Maybe it's a tool. You look at a tool and you say, what is this for? I don't know what it's for. And you try it on certain things. Maybe it's a key and you try it on a door and it doesn't work here, it doesn't work there. What is this key for? Why didn't we label this key? Why is this just a, a lonely key wandering around that we don't know what it's for? What are these bulbs for? What is this tool for? And then you have that aha moment when the key fits, when you, the light bulb screws in and turns on, when you finally use the tool for what it's supposed to be for, and, and you go, ah, that makes life easier. There's a tool for everything, and that's what it's for. I think so many people are stuck in life wondering, what am I for? What's my purpose? They're like a key trying all these different keyholes, and it's frustrating because they don't know what it's for. Who are they supposed to be? What were they designed for? Many of us spend the majority of our lives trying to put ourselves into different situations, different locations, use ourselves for different aspects, different purposes, and it, it just doesn't work. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating to be useless, to be purposeless, to be pointless. I think Romans 1 gives us a little bit of a diagnosis of the problem. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 even though they, this is just people in general, knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Drop down to verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The very thing that defines a non-Christian is a habitual lack of giving thanks. We as Christians struggle with giving thanks. It's more episodic for us and more chronic for a non-believer. We were all made to worship and serve God. We were made for this purpose. This is the reality of our lives. This is the whole reason we're here, to give thanks, to serve Him, and to praise Him. The basic reason that God has designed you is to find your satisfaction in Him alone. And until you do that, you will be that key trying different keyholes. You'll be that tool trying to figure out what am I supposed to be used for? But when you figure out, oh, I was made by God to be satisfied by Him and to show His glory to other people and to give thanks and to praise His name, when you understand that, your life takes on a completely new meaning, a new dimension of understanding, a new, a new dimension of meaning, a new dimension of, of uh, purpose. The blessing of giving thanks is that we can do it anytime, individually, but we gather together and we do it corporately. What a blessing to gather together corporately and to give thanks as believers. Here's our approach for giving thanks and for praising God. Our desire is to find our satisfaction in God alone. Our desire is to find our joy and happiness in Him alone. And so, as I've heard one pastor say before, we sing when we're happy, we sing when we're not happy, 
And when we're not happy, we sing until we get happy. That's what we do as a church. That's what I do individually. That's what we do as a church. We sing when we're happy in God. We sing when we're not happy and we're struggling. And when we're not happy, we sing until we get happy. It's very simple. Look through the Bible and you will find our purpose in life is to be happy in Jesus. That's why we sing the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We want to be happy in Him. We want to be joyful. And so I thought it would be appropriate to turn to a psalm of thanksgiving. Turn to Psalm 100, a psalm, literally, the superscription says, a psalm for thanksgiving. So thank you, God, for giving us a psalm for this occasion. Giving thanks, a psalm that fits this occasion. Joyful, happiness in God. Worship in the Bible is incredibly joyful. The Puritans, when you think of Puritans, you, th- you tend to think of people that are prudish, solemn. Listen to what they said. While you, can st- while you can and should fast on any day of the week, you must never fast on Sunday because everything on Sunday has to do with worship and everything with worship has to do with joy. So fast during the week, struggle during the week, but when you come together as a church, you come together for the purpose of joy, for the purpose of happiness in Christ. That's why this psalm, Psalm 100, in Latin was given the title Jubilate. Jubilate, not Juba Frappuccino. Jubilate. Jubilate means, uh, oh, the joyful celebration. Be joyful with me. And so I want to spend our time as we give thanks and as we think about giving thanks, I want to just go through Psalm 100 and I want to ask our hearts, is this the way that we worship God? And then I'm going to give us a chance to do that because we're going to sing a lot of songs at the end of our time together. And I want to just ask God to invigorate our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our will, our affections, so that our worship is marked by an engagement that is vigorous in its joy over God like we see in Psalm 100. So let's read it together and then I'll pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Psalm 100 verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, because the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, I ask that you would give us an ability to worship you and to praise you in the way you deserve because of who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, come now and open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things from your law. The psalmist will say that in Psalm 119 verse 18. We want to see the beauty of your glory and your majesty on display. And we want our worship of who you are, not just in singing, but in our very lives, to appropriately match who you are and what you've done. So be our teacher this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 100. Very simple psalm, very short psalm. And I just want to give you the the heading, the banner that flies across this whole psalm. If you were to put this psalm into one sentence, it would be this. We need to worship God in the way he deserves, for who he is and what he's done. We need to worship God 
in the way he deserves, and you could also throw on there demands because these are commands. Worship God in the way he deserves because of who he is and because of what he's done. You're going to see all of those three components in the way he deserves and demands because of who he is and because of what he's done just littered throughout this psalm. Seven imperatives here, seven commands of how we are to worship God. So we'll take those seven as our outline. Seven imperatives, seven commands of how we are to praise our God. The first in verse one is shout, shout, shout joyfully, my Bible says, or shout with joy. Some of your translations might say, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Shout, an exclamation of exaltation, a triumphant shout. We're shouting because something amazing has happened. This word for shout is used in 1 Samuel 4, verse 5, and it's used of a time when Israel shouted so loudly that the ground shook. I don't know if you guys have been to sporting events, go to a stadium, people start shouting, and it feels like the whole stadium is going to collapse. Sometimes if you're under the, the stands, you can actually see them kind of wobbling. It's a little bit terrifying sometimes. Shout. Shout joyfully. Why? Because our God is a triumphant God. He's won the day. We have reason to shout. Um, we shout for the most mundane things. Uh, I love going to sporting events. I love sports. And I remember so vividly. You know when you go to a, a, a football game and it's like third down and you're the home team and you're trying to beat the other team and up on the big screen, it says, make some noise. You guys been in that situation? And just the whole crowd goes crazy, right? I, I remember so vividly, I went to a football game with a friend of mine, and we were in this very deep, intimate conversation. There was kind of a lull in the game. We actually thought our team was going to lose. So we're just talking, like, okay, whatever. And mid-sentence of us talking, that sign comes on the screen and says, make some noise. And as just the obedient servant that my friend is, he stops the conversation and just starts yelling. Like, it was literally like, yeah, and I don't know what I'm going to do. This is really difficult. I hope you can be, ah! And he just, and I'm like, what, who are we? What have we become that a screen can command our actions and our obedience? What are we doing here? If we shout for a, a bunch of dudes playing with a ball... We, we have a reason to shout for God. This has a, a, an image of being at the gates of the temple and the gates opening up and you rushing in to worship God. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a rock show before, but that I've been to more of those than I have been to sporting events. And that is the scene when you're waiting at the, the doors to open at the venue and this whole crowd has a mass by the door and we're typically singing one of the songs that we're about to hear in there, and we're just yelling. And when those doors open up, it's madness. It's mayhem. We're just, yeah, and people are falling over. Just picture Black Friday coming up at Walmart. This is what's going to happen when the doors open up. Shouting, cheering, running in. But we don't just shout for no reason. And we don't just shout by ourselves. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. We don't shout for no reason, and we don't shout just by ourselves. Shout joyfully to the Lord. It's not shouting for shouting's sake. It doesn't please the Lord if you walk in these doors and you just, yeah, 
just yell. No, no, you have to shout to the Lord. It's directional, it's aimed at someone, and it's aimed at Yahweh. My Bible says LORD in all capital letters. That's God's covenant-keeping name. Shout joyfully to Yahweh. Personal, used over 8,000 times in the Old Testament. This is God's name. Shout to Him. Don't shout for no reason at all. Shout to Him. Therefore, our worship services are not intended to be directed towards man. We label that as seeker-sensitive, right? We're not just directing our worship services at man. We're directing our worship at God. Shout to Him. It's enthusiastic. It's filled with passion. It's filled with heartfelt emotion. And we shout to Him all the earth. This is quite an ambitious statement. Shout to Him everyone. Everybody shout to God. Isn't that exactly what we want? That's the Lord's prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you found that the most passionate worshipers are typically the most passionate and faithful evangelists? It's typically where your heart is so engaged in who God is that you can't help but worship him passionately and you can't help but tell other people about him. The best worshipers tend to be the best evangelists. The reality is a cosmically glorious God deserves cosmically glorious praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Now, some people say, well, godly people don't do that. We don't make fools of ourselves. We stand straight with our hands at our side. When we sing, we don't shout, we're mature. And maturity equals stand stiff as a board and don't move. I believe that that's nonsense. Just, I mean, write down Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. These are people, saints in heaven, praising God, and the throne room of heaven is shaking. Uh, They are roaring. The word is literally, they lifted up a roar because of who God is and what he's done. They sing hallelujah. It's a Hebrew word. You guys know a Hebrew word, hallelujah. Hallel is to praise or to boast about someone or about something. The little you is the second person plural, y'all, and it's an imperative, y'all must, and then Yah is short for Yahweh, hallelujah, you must praise the Lord, we all must praise God together, why, because Psalm 29 tells us that he deserves the praise, he deserves the credit, ascribe to him, boast in who he is and is what he's done, and that boasting can't be done in a way where you're just unengaged. Just think about cheering for God. This is celebrating who God is and cheering for God. And yes, it's not cheering for him to win. It's cheering because he has won. But just think about, we have our kids on this front row. Think about if they stayed here throughout the service and and Lightning McQueen and Mater shows up. Um, If you don't know who they are, you don't have any relationship with the child. Um, it's okay. They walk in through the door, drive in, and this row sees them. This row of little children see them. These are the Toy Story, or not Toy Story, they're the Cars, Pixar characters. What are these children going to do? They're going to lose it. <laughs> Lightning McQueen and Mater go to CBC. This is amazing. They are going to make a joyful noise. They're going to shout. They're going to cheer. Yay. Why? Because they love Lightning McQueen and Mater. And then they see us knowing that God is here. They see us just stand and 
kind of recite words. When they themselves would be just freaking out over Lightning McQueen and Mater. I don't think that that should be the case. And I think that this psalm helps us by starting off saying, shout joyfully, celebrate him for who he is and for what he's done. Celebrate him. The second imperative is serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve. Some of your translations might say worship. I think serve is actually the better uh, translation of that word. It literally means to orient your entire life to the service of a sovereign master. You are a slave of a king who is a glorious good king who has given you the title of friend. This is what it means to be a worshiper. This is more than just singing. Serving is every aspect of life. Serve God in every way and everything you do. Find your satisfaction in him and give him glory. That's what it means to do this, to serve the Lord, not just with singing, but with your very life. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, being living sacrifices, offering your body to God as living sacrifices in everything you do. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. This is what it means to serve the Lord with gladness. Every aspect of your life is done in service to God. Work for Him. I love how Paul says that in Colossians 3. Um, Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Not just you're singing, yes, but your work. As you go about your day, as you do your work, that tells me that I don't have more of an opportunity to live out that verse because I'm a a pastor than you do because you're not a pastor. A lot of people tend to think, well, it's easier in my job to serve the Lord because I'm a pastor, but doing your work is hard because you're not a pastor. Do your work hard as unto the Lord is very challenging. No, that's, this verse tells us whatever you're doing, and it's directed to slaves in Colossians chapter 3, and it's also directed to fathers and to mothers and to husbands and to wives. Whatever your job is, do it in service to God. You don't have to change your job to do that. There's only a few jobs that you can't live that verse out in, and those are the ones that explicitly are sinful. Like, if you're a bank robber here, you can't do your bank robbing heartily as under the Lord, right? That's not, whatever your job is, do it with gladness, with joy. Your entire life is joyful service to the king. So when we gather together on Sunday mornings, it's just an overflow. It's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're doing all throughout the week. Imperative number three. So we have shout joyfully, serve the Lord, again, Yahweh, with gladness. Imperative number three, come before him with joyful singing. Come before him. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Enter his presence with joy. How you enter into the presence of a king is very important. And who gets to dictate how you are able to make your way into a throne room? It's not you, it's the king. And the king is telling us today, this morning, how he desires for you to enter into his presence. He tells us we do it with joyful singing. We do it with joyful singing, joy, glad, joyful songs. Worship before God through songs should be joyful. Now, we should not have empty-headed emotionalism. We should not have empty-headed emotionalism, just joyful for no reason. But can we go the other route here? Can we talk about the other side of that coin? We shouldn't have empty-hearted intellectualism. 
We shouldn't have empty-hearted intellectualism. No empty-headed emotionalism. No empty-hearted intellectualism. Some people say, well, I just want to sing the truth. I want to sing the truth. I want to speak the truth. I just, I love truth. And I will just sing truth. I just want to sing truth. And I just want to stand here with no emotion whatsoever. That's biblically not enough. It's good to sing the truth. You must sing the truth. But the truth must inform your affections and your emotions. God-honoring worship is never emotion by itself or intellect by itself. God-honoring worship is never emotion by itself or intellectualism by itself. It's always both at the same time. That's why we see shouting, joy, gladness, joyful singing. But it doesn't stop there. We also see knowledge. This is imperative number four. Come before him with joyful singing, but fourthly, verse three, know that the Lord himself is God. So if you're here this morning, this is what I love about the word of God. No matter who you are or what background you are coming from, the word of God has something to say. If you're here and you are more prone towards hyper-intellectualism without emotion, I think this passage informs you need to have your entirety engaged Head, heart, and hands, as we we tend to say, right? Your head filled with knowledge, your heart engaged with the truth such that you have emotions and it lives itself out in the way that you act. But if you're here and you say, I just want to feel a certain way during the music, the Bible speaks to this as well. You can't just sing with joy if you have no knowledge that informs that singing. People tell me, I don't like thinking when I worship. I don't like thinking. And I know that our church, number one, sings a lot of songs, and number two, sings a lot of wordy songs. Some people say, man, I just, I don't like thinking when I'm singing. Literally, somebody told me this, I just want to get lost in a sea of spiritual emotions when I sing. I just want to get lost in a sea of spiritual emotions. Now, I love emotions. So the reasons why I love Christmas. I start hanging out Christmas lights, I get super angry because that's the most annoying thing in the world to do. And then in the next second, I'm like crying because it's Christmas. I'm so happy. Like, I love emotions. I am incredibly emotional. But can I just, can I say this as clearly as I can and hopefully as pastorally as I can? If the emotional experience in singing is your aim and your pursuit, then you're in real danger of becoming an idolater. If, if all you are seeking and pursuing in worship through song is an emotional experience, a feeling, you're in, danger of, you're in danger of idolatry because you're replacing God as the object of your worship with what you desire as the object of your worship. I want to feel a certain way. That's my object instead of God. Worshiping him now becomes a means to your own desired end. It's just worshiping to get goosebumps on your neck rather than worshiping God because of God. So no empty-headed emotionalism, no empty-hearted intellectualism. We need both. Know that the Lord is God. Yahweh himself is God. It's a defined God. We're singing to a person You can't just worship whoever you think God is. You can't just worship for whatever reason you think. 
this is one of the reasons why I ask this question about the songs that we sing as I read through the lyrics. Are these lyrics distinctively Christian? One of the best questions that somebody asked me one time, we were writing a bunch of songs for a, uh, a worship record, and one of the songs was straight from Isaiah 6 uh, about um, Isaiah staying before God and, and the, the holy, 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 and uh, woe is me, that whole um, scene. And we finished the song, and a pastor was kind of informing our decision-making as we were writing lyrics, and he said, this is a great song. It's a great song. But any good Jewish person could sing this song and love it. This hasn't become distinctively Christian. Place the gospel in here. Tell me how we are cleansed of our sin. And so the little line that the cross is the coal that's cleansed us to sing. God has brought about salvation through the Messiah, Jesus. Is our singing distinctively Christian? It has to be if it's going to fit this. Know that Yahweh is God. He is the one. He himself is God. Yahweh, Lord, himself is Elohim. God over the world. God, sovereign creator, ruler, authority. So really we could stop there. If for no other reason we should praise God because he's God. He's sovereign. He's king. He's creator. People tend to not like this. We don't like authority. We're Americans. We do our own thing. But no, God is God. We are not. Somebody asked me recently, is, is God a megalomaniac? And I said, no, he's, he's not, because that word has different connotations. Here's a tougher question. Is God self-centered? I would say yes and no. Um, he is self-centered because he is himself the center of everything. Well, why doesn't God make me the center? God loves the truth and hates lying. You're not the center of the universe, so he's not going to allow you to think that you are. He's going to say, I'm the center of the universe. You're not, and that's the most loving thing he can do. God is God. We are not. We are his people, the Bible says. We are not just people that can become gods. We're not people that um, have helped God out in what he's doing. He made us. We're his people. We are his subjects. So he himself is the center of the universe. The best thing that the sun can do in our solar system is make sure all the other planets know their place. It's divine equilibrium when God says, I'm God, you're not. We're his people. He's made us. And we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. I believe that that's speaking of specifically ethnic Israel because God had made a people. Uh, he had made Israel. He had formed them. He had chosen them. He had made a covenant with them. And we are his sheep. Sheep need help. They're pretty clueless animals. They need rescuing. They need nourishment. They need Psalm 23. You make me to lie down in green pastures. The Lord is our shepherd. And because he is our shepherd and we are his sheep, we can say with David in Psalm 23, I don't have anything that I, I need that I'm lacking. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing that I need that I don't have because he's my shepherd and he takes care of me. Therefore, we sing not because of what God has given to us, but because of who God is himself. Even when everything God has given to us is stripped away, all the nice good gifts that God has given to us. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 onward, this was read at... Uh, our, our wedding, Hannah and my wedding, 
Because it says, look, if you don't have sheep, oxen, cattle, if you don't have grapes on the vine, if you don't have uh, food in the field, if you don't have anything, which I told Hannah, that's pretty much going to be the rest of our life. So this is a good verse that just flies the banner. We will have nothing, but we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. We can still sing. We can still praise because we have him. So know, know that the Lord is God. He himself is God. Know your place as his creature and praise him for who he is. The next command, command number five, imperative number five, is enter. Enter. The king of the universe bids us to come into his presence. Enter. Enter. How are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to do it with thanksgiving. Literally, offering of our thanks. Enter his gates. What are these gates? These are the gates to the temple, to his presence. Enter the gates with thanksgiving. Why are we giving thanksgiving? What are we thankful for? Typically, we tend to have a list of things we're thankful for, and they're all gifts that God has given, and they're great gifts. But they're all just little petty things, and sometimes we complain. I actually think most of the time we complain. We complain because we compare ourselves with what others have. We have amazing privileges here. If you've been to a third world country or somewhere where they don't have what we have, you've known the experience where it feels that you go over there and you go, I am never going to complain again. I have to walk seven miles to use the bathroom. I'm never going to complain again. And then you come home and three days later you're complaining again. It's not wrong to have nice things that we thank God for. It's wrong when the nice things own us. So we enter with thanksgiving for who he is. Just simply that. And we give thanks. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The sixth command is now we give thanks. Give thanks to him. Thanksgiving requires an object. Give thanks to him. Not just thanking for thanksgiving's sake, but thank him. And number seven, bless his name. Imperative number seven, bless his name. Literally, that's give honor to his name. Give honor to him for who he is. He's God and he's a compassionate, gracious God. Those are the seven things that tell us what God wants from us. When we come in this room and we praise our God, those are the seven imperatives that God has given to us of how he is to be worshipped. When the subject of worship through song is raised, there's one question that should rise above all the other questions. And the question is this, what kind of worship does God want? That's the question that we need to be asking. Not what kind of worship do we want. Typically, we tend to say, I, I prefer this. This is my preference. This is what I prefer. But worship isn't directed at us. It's directed at God. When you come to worship God, you are not the audience. God's the audience. You are the performer. So our preference isn't the aim. His preference is the aim. If you're anything like me, there's this implicit assumption that we have We walk in here and we just think, whatever I throw up to God, he'll be happy that I did it. I don't know if you have that assumption where it's just like, you know what, if I just sing, he'll be happy. Make a joyful noise. I'll just make a joyful noise. We can just throw it up and God will take whatever we happen to toss his way. I don't think that the Bible would say that that's true. The question is not, what do we prefer? The question is, how has God demanded that we worship him? So instead of asking, after worship service, How'd you like the music today? I think the question we should ask is, how do you think God likes the music today? How do you think God enjoyed our singing? I think that if we look at this psalm, we would see one of the 
the biggest ways in which we know that our singing will be pleasing to God is if it's infused with joy, infused with happiness. Why is that? Because if our singing is infused with joy and happiness, it says that our love for God is not dependent on what's going on down here. If I can show up in this room and be happy, even if my house burned down in the fires, I I can say, you know what? I have God, and I can be happy in Him, and that happiness can never be taken away. And sometimes we sing with joy in our hearts through tears in our eyes. But we will never allow the fullness of our praise for Him to be spoiled by anything else on earth. We sing when we're happy. We sing when we're not happy. And when we're not happy, we sing until we are happy. You say, well, I don't feel happy. Hey, I don't either. (laughs) Most of the time, my disposition is not to be happy. So what do we do? Do we design a service to manipulate us into feeling happy? No. We let truth inform our emotions. If you don't feel happy, you go to the truth of who God is. Remember, we said, flying over the banner of this, uh, this psalm, we worship God for, in the way that he deserves and demands for who he is and for what he's done. And that's verse 5. We do all of these imperatives in verses 1 through 4 because, verse 5, the Lord is good. And because his loving kindness is everlasting, his covenant-keeping love is everlasting, and because his faithfulness continues to all generations. We give thanks to God for who he is and for what he's done. We already have seen a little bit of who he is. He's God, and we are people, and he's taking care of us. But now explicitly, he's good, and his love endures forever, and his faithfulness does as well. Notice none of those three things there or four, if we include God in verse three, God being God, none of these things ever will change. God will never stop being God. God will never stop being good. God will never stop being loving kindness uh, flowing from him in his kindness towards us. And God will never stop being faithful. So therefore, if you anchor your hope and your praise and your joy into those four things, then your joy and your hope and your praise will never end. It will never change. God is good. He's good His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness continues through all generations. He's good. Is there anything good in your life going on right now because of who God is? Itemize it. That's what we're going to do on Wednesday night. I think sometimes we have a difficult time praising God because we haven't itemized what God's done in our lives. This is why journaling is a great spiritual discipline. Writing down what God has done in your life is a very, very helpful thing because if you don't catalog those things, then you just... In those moments of trying to praise God, it's just like trying to collect rainwater in your hands. What did God do? I don't remember. Uh, He loves us. Uh, And you're just throwing things out. You say, no, I have kept a list. And it's really short. In fact, I'm going through a season right now where I feel like there's nothing on the list of who God is and what he's done for me. I think that this psalm informs our understanding. I think... You can do two things if you're in that place. And we're all in those places when you're like, there's nothing here that I have to praise God for. I'm struggling. Number one, think about others. His faithfulness continues to all generations. Other people have enjoyed his kindness and his goodness. So that's one of the reasons why testimonies are so helpful. 
I'm going through a season right now where I'm in a dark place, I'm depressed, I'm spiritually in despair, and then somebody comes along and they say, oh, God has been so kind to me. And you go, wow, God is faithful. And I know he is. And you see that, that testimonies are so helpful. And if that doesn't work, then just start working backwards. His faithfulness continues to all generations. So work backwards to generations before you. Work backwards to generations long before you. That's why we read the Bible. We see God's faithfulness on display to all generations. So we must not have empty-headed emotionalism. We must not have empty-hearted intellectualism. We need to have both. Sing with joy because you know. Worship with gladness and give thanks to him with praise because of who he is and because of what he's done. Let's end in Colossians chapter 1. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Remember, the psalmist said, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I I believe that that's technically Israel. We are his people, his chosen people. Just a a ragtag group of people that was started by the least of these. And by God's grace, by God's blood, and by God's power, he delivers them out of Egypt and makes them his own. We've been saved in the exact same way, by God's grace, by God's blood, and by God's power. Not from Egypt, but from the wrath of God. Pick it up in... Verse 11, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. I know it's just jumping right in, but we have been strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. So we're giving thanks because of everything that he's given to us, power, glorious might. But we're also giving thanks for who he is he's, and what he's done. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How has he done that? Why has he done that? He rescued us, verse 13, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You can mark this down. If you lose everything in life and you're a believer, you still have the forgiveness of sins and you can never lose that. So we have five things now. We have God is God, God is good, God has loving kindness, and God has faithfulness, and God has forgiven you and that will never be taken away. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Reminding yourself of the gospel can turn a broken heart into a blessing heart. Again, through tears. But with kindness, with the kindness of God, we can have our hearts informed by his glory. And it can transform into praise. True worship is the only right response to the gospel. True worship Informed intellectually, informed emotionally, true worship towards God is the only right response that we can have, knowing that we are his people because of his amazing love for us. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today is the day to see that he loves you, that no matter what you're going through, he has made a way for your sins to be forgiven for his just punishment towards us because of our sins, it will be removed because it's been poured out on Jesus, not on you. And if you're here this morning and you have received Jesus Christ and trusted in him alone for salvation, then brothers and sisters, we have reason to sing that God's name would be louder and drown out every other song and we'd worship him in the way he deserves and demands for who he is and for what he's done. Father, we thank you for this psalm and now we want to live it out. We want to apply the truth that we have just heard 
as your word has informed our understanding, we desire now to come before you with joyful song, knowing that you are God, knowing that you have saved us and redeemed us, knowing what it cost you in order to purchase us. God, you are good. Your loving kindness is everlasting and your faithfulness continues to all generations. Thank you.